Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour. Yeah, man, this is Kudzu Radio Hour number 140. Pretty cool, huh? Wow. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, February 13th, 2021, the day before Valentine's Day. <laughs> For all of you who celebrate, uh, I used to. But anyway, it's a lovely weekend uh, here in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Freezing cold, pouring rain, icky, icky. Anybody ready for spring? I am spring, or even better yet, summer. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in to the Kudzu Radio Hour. I think we've got a pretty good show lined up for you today. We're going to talk about the greatest drummers, you know, in our four personal opinions, the greatest drummers. Uh, and there's so many good ones, right? There's so many good ones. So we're going to get right to that shortly. But first, I wanted to tell you that the program is brought to you by, in living color, by the way, by Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. And that is fresh chicken, responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever 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 that's true and you can get more information or order it online have it delivered to your house all you got to do is go on over to springermountain.com that's springermtn.com just remember springer mountain chicken is healthier for you and it also tastes superior i can tell you that it's the truth the podcast is also brought to you by that little old band from Los Angeles called the Box Masters. And uh, they're really happy because they've got out a brand new album and we're really happy because it's great. The album is called Light Rays. Light Rays. And it features a bunch of new great songs written by Bud Thornton and J.D. Andrew. And some really jingle jangle rocking stuff, man. Reminds me sometimes of the birds a little bit. Sometimes it reminds me of a 60s sound uh, filtered through a 21st century um, filter, so to speak. Man, it's so good. So good. The Box Masters already got another couple albums ready to go. They've been working during the COVID, man. Working, working, working. Check them out. Order the new album, uh, Light Rays. You will love it. Order it on vinyl or CD or download. Go on over to theboxmasters.com. Theboxmasters.com. You can order uh, the album. You can also order Boxmasters t-shirts, stickers, uh, ashtrays, shot glasses, a <laughs> little bit of everything, man. Uh, you know, they've got, they've got the marketing uh, thing down pat, man. It's good. Box masters, baby. We love them. The boxmasters.com program is also brought to you by fog hat sellers. Yes, sir. I know, you know, who fog hat is slow ride full for a city, but did you know that Roger and Linda Earl, uh, also have a winery, the fog hat sellers. And they make some amazingly good wine. Uh, Pinot's, Shards, oh, it's all so good. And 
not unlike Springer Mountain, you can also have Foghat wine delivered to your doorstep, baby. And I highly recommend it. You can find out more information or order online at foghatsellers.com. Foghatsellers.com, or you can go on over to the band website and there's a link from there too. Uh, the band website is foghat.com, of course. That's easy to remember. Yeah, foghat.com. So we really thank our sponsors big time. Uh, well, I just wanted to ask have you seen the latest issue of Kudzu Magazine? Kudzu Magazine number 40. Uh, we're working on 41 right now. And it's going to be pretty good. Uh, the cover story for 41 is going to be on the great uh, Freddie Salem from the band The Outlaws and uh, interview with him and just all kinds of CD reviews, um, not just CDs, but vinyl, all kind, tons of reviews and other articles and stuff. It's always free. But the issue that's out right now, and you can go on over to kudzumag.com, K-U-D-Z-O-O-M-A-G, kudzumag.com. And check out issue number 40 with Dwayne Betts of the Almond Betts Band. Got an interview there with little, uh, I say not little, what am I saying? That's because I'm so old, I still call him little, little Dwayne Betts. He is not little, he's an adult. Dwayne Betts and Devin Almond, and those have the Almond Betts Band. Really good interview with, uh, with Dwayne, I must say. Also an interview with guitar slinger Billy Crane, best known for playing with the Outlaws and the Henry Paul band. Also an interview with Bud and JD from Boxmasters. And we have a classic kudzu interview with one of my favorite singers in the world, uh, Maria McKee from the band Long Justice and her solo career. And we, I talked to her uh, sometime many, many years ago, at least 10 years ago. But uh, we ran, uh, we ran, let me try that again. We re-ran the interview because it, you know, it's uh, it was a good interview. She's a really talented lady. So much more, man. There's so 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 much more. All in Kudzu Mag. Kudzu Mag. Dot com. That's right. Well, like I said, we're going to be talking about drummers, um, and. Uh, what we're going to do here to kick off the program is we're going to play uh, just an edit. I, play, I, I edited down uh, the great Buddy Rich's, uh, he did a West Side Story thing, right? But there's this extended drum solo in the middle of it. I just wanted to play just the drum solo because we're going to play that and then we're going to go into Linda Ronstadt song written by Michael Nesmith called Different Drum. Get it? Different Drum? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so we're going to play that. And we'll be back with the rest of the boys and we'll be talking about drummers a little later. So I uh, hope y'all stick around. Thank you so much for tuning in. Here we go. A little bit of Buddy Rich.
gentlemen i want to introduce you to three guys all of which travel to the beat of a different drummer that's right and uh from uh, somewhere up in massachusetts i believe Hill, uh whoville yeah whoville. <laughs> it's billy eli right there what's up how are you buff hey pretty good boy good to hear Excellent. from you and all the way out in austin texas you know where it's freezing ass cold <laughs> it's true Jim Hemphill and Patrick Beach. Uh, it's going on. I'm cold and I can't figure out whether I'm a shark or a jet. So oh, hey, y'all. Yeah. Hey, y'all. Oh, that's right. That's right. You, never... could be a, you could be a shit. A shit. Or a, <laughs> I'm a jark. A jark. A jark, baby. A jark. People say I'm, you're I'm a jark. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, for, I'm gonna forgive that bitch because I know that the liquor store closest to you is closed. Yes, the end times are upon us. <laughs> right. Seriously. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that into account in letting that slide. <laughs> I've got, I've got, I've. On the other hand, I've got five bottles of whiskey that are more than half full, so I feel like I'm wow. prepared. Plus, plus the world supply of meat and soup. Hey, I'm gonna be gone. I'm gonna be gone. I'm gonna be gone for about 15 minutes, and then I'll do the rest of the show from Jim's house. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's got he's got whiskey, meat, and soup. That's right. <laughs> That's all you really need. The staples. Uh, all right, we're gonna do our thing. We call us a little game that we play based on the movie High Fidelity. You, you guys remember that movie with Jack Black? Really good movie. And uh, the little game is called High Fidelity, and uh gonna pose a question for the guys and uh you know totally unrehearsed of course and see what they say so this question today is name a song lyric that you didn't really understand or get until you were an adult mm. <laughs> so yeah yeah all right jim oh damn uh yeah oh oh i got it i got it the song Timothy by the Boys, B U O Y S. Y'all know uh, that song? No. No? No? I don't even so, know that. I don't even know that. Band. <laughs> well, the song, well, they were one hit wonder. And the song was written by that dude who did the uh, Pina Colada song. And uh, it was about Rupert. Uh, Rupert. Rupert Hines. Rupert Hines. Holmes. Holmes. The getting caught in the rain song that Rupert, yeah, Rupert the red nosed reindeer, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Pina Colada song. Anyway, he wrote it about 1970, one hit wonder, and it was about it was one of those disaster songs, you know, like the, the Bee Gees had a disaster song about a mine cave in back in the 60s, right? You right. know, and uh. I thought it was just about a mine that caved in and the narrator of the song told the tale and he and his friend Joe and their buddy Timothy all got trapped, but Timothy didn't make it out and only the narrator and Joe made it out. And I just thought it was a sad story about a guy who died in a mine until, you know, sometime in the early 80s, uh, I, I figured out I was in a drinking session with my buddy Dan Bennett and he's like, no, I think they ate that guy. 
And I'm like, what? Yeah. What? And then we kind of went over the lyrics and I'm like, damn, they ate Timothy. It's a song uh, about cannibalism and it made the top 10. Oh, oh they ate uh, Timothy. I thought you meant they ate the pina colada. <laughs> no, they, they should have ate the pina colada guy because then we then, then we wouldn't have had that song. But anyway, they ate they ate the some bitch. They ate the some bitch. Oh, and uh, so yeah, I didn't uh, that took me a while to figure that one out. And apparently apparently it was a controversy at the time and some radio stations wouldn't play it. I was blissfully aware nine year old or some shit like that and <laughs> Uh, you know, and I never thought of the song again until Dan and I were drinking one night and somehow the song came up and by God, they ate him. They ate that song. So, so is it true that the guy from the boys later on started a band called fine young cannibals? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I just, wonder. but, but no, I think actually, I think it was the narrator of the song, Timothy, that started, started Poor old that. Timothy. Poor him Timothy. and Joe. Jim and Joe right. had ate, they ate they ate Timothy. This okay. is now ringing a dim bell because the boys one year uh headlined the Donner Party Festival. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the Donner yeah, the Donner Music Fest. All right. <laughs> right. Patrick, what's well, the song you didn't understand? Oh yeah, Jimmy, you aren't finished yet. I'm sorry. No, I am no uh, okay. I, just, just top that. A song yeah, about top, cannibalism. Top oh, that. oh, oh, oh. Well, I'm Patrick. really embarrassed. I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but YMCA. I totally <laughs> didn't get any of that band. I did not get the joke at all. I was I was I was too young to know what gay was. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, um, you know. <sighs> Please, please. Okay. <laughs> you got to explain this gay stuff to me really slowly when I'm nine or ten or however old I was when when that came out. But I didn't get it at all, and I I think I think a vast swath of America did not get the joke of the village people because <laughs> pe people were not nearly as tolerant then as they are today. True. Um, yeah, so and, yeah, and on top, you know, uh, in conjunction with not being as tolerant, I mean, it just wasn't as open anywhere except san francisco and greenwich village right know? right right you know it, it was right. there, there was all there was also a, a, an awareness thing of just well that yeah that don't happen here man. so not 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 just that one song but just that that band's whole oeuvre. i i just didn't under i didn't get the well, yeah because i mean their follow-up in the navy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah that was just a very patriotic song uh <laughs> celebrating our military Right. And, uh, hey, don't forget Macho Man. Oh, my God. Right, right. I, oh, I, geez. I, had, I had forgotten that. So had you I. know, it's so funny you had mentioned that because as kids and all, but my, my dad, my dad, God rest his soul, my dad loved the village people. He didn't, uh, he, he was, he would have hey, what, flipped Bob? out if he had known what they were really See, all about. He goes, that's, you know, that's Michael, what I'm talking like about. My, my dad, I remember my dad going, they were on the Bob Hope special one night on our aircraft carrier my dad goes right do it in the my, yeah, my dad goes I, I like that band i really like that cowboy right there and i was like yeah 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 because i wonder i wonder how they, I, wonder, chaps are <laughs> I wonder how they got them to leave the aircraft carrier that would be like a buffet you know <laughs> I got to tell you, Buff, I'm doing this show and the stories we've heard about your dad. I'm kind of sorry I never got to meet him. He he liked, he liked, uh, well, he liked Jane County. And didn't you say he, he got, he like got into the dolls? Yeah, he loved and, the dolls. And, yeah. 
Yeah, he's a little, yeah. A little, you know, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird because I mean, you know, and that's where my uh, musical uh, potpourri comes from because he uh, he would play, you know, Merle Haggard and New York Dolls and Wayne County and George Jones and the Village People, Village People, and you know, it didn't matter. It's like, hey, hey, that's pretty cool. I like that. All right, well, at well, least. At least, at least uh, on the you know, after you found out about the village people, you could still lean back on some good masculine hard rock like Judas Priest. So you know, right. always- yeah, yeah, that's right, exactly, absolutely masculine. You know, you know none of those guys are gay. And the al- <laughs> the al- the alternative rock stylings of Husker Du, of course, yeah, exactly. yeah another one. Yes. Amen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Anyway, anyway. and God Sorry. knows my dad loved Elton John. But anyway, there's a. Uh, <laughs> let's see here billy eli yeah man i don't have one i i had, oh, okay. was trying to think of one but nah it's too early and i hadn't been drinking man so I'm well, not- i thought it would be hilarious if you named one of your own songs and said i didn't understand <laughs> it until i was an adult <laughs> yeah maybe, I, maybe know, cheese angelatas or something I, yeah i again not that sharp this morning man i gotta tell you not drinking steak in the soul <laughs> Yeah, it's terrible, it's terrible. I had I had never felt this bad. <laughs> well, I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make an I'm gonna admit mine right now in this category, and uh, I'm so embarrassed to say it, but "Afternoon Delight" by Starland Vocal Band. <laughs> <laughs> I had no earthly idea what you were talking about. Maybe walking in the park or something. In your defense, a lot a lot of people didn't. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You no, know? that one that one I did get. Uh, I, I, Beach, yeah, God, yeah. All Beach, about the he's an enigma wrapped in a riddle, <laughs> wrapped, wrapped up in an old cigarette paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's move right on into uh, recommendations, and let's start with Patrick. You got something to share to recommend? I got a, I got a twofer. I got a twofer. Uh, last Two weekend, uh, last weekend, my family and I watched uh, a thing on Netflix that you can stream. It's called LA 92. It's about the LA riots in 1992, following the police beating of Rodney King the previous year Four LAPD officers during the Daryl Gates era were uh, eventually charged and they got a change of the venue. They moved it from LA County to Simi Valley nearby and they were all four acquitted. And of course all hell broke loose. The thing that's really, really Boy, impressive about, yeah. about this documentary is there's very, very, minimal use of title cards to tell you what's going on and all the put footage is period it's all contemporaneous there's no interviews with the people who are in the middle of it in the modern day it is all because of course at the time this was one of the biggest stories in the world you know every media outlet was covering this in one way or another so there's an enormous amount of contemporaneous footage and that's how the story is told it's a real feat of uh, visual storytelling la 92 related to that and also, since it's Black History Month, I want to recommend a book that <clears throat> I really should have read last year. It was one of the biggest books of last year. Maybe it came out in 2019. It's really opened my eyes. I have to stop and think on just about every page. How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, who is the, uh, the head of uh, anti-racist studies at American University in Washington. And his whole thing is it's not okay to just say, well, I'm not racist. There's always a but that follows that. You have to be 
you have to be in thought and deed and action openly anti-racist. You can't be Sweden when you're looking at racism, black, white, brown, whatever. Right. My take on that has always been you got to be anti-racist when you're by yourself. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the difference, man. Yeah. You yeah. know, you, you got to be uh, you got to be against it and find it, you know, offensive and, and, and it, when it's just you. Right. Exactly. You know? And, uh, you know, there's there's so many pardon me, shades of this. The whole notion of race is, of course, a, a construct. And once you create that construct, construct you create a hierarchy somebody has to be better than somebody else and then that leads to the whole concept of of ethnic racism racism within uh the same or similar ethnicities which is why you have haitians hating rwanda right right hutus and tutsis haitians hating haitians hating jamaicans jamaicans hating african-americans yada 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 this is something i know a little bit about because um uh, some years ago, I dated a woman who was not descended from African-American slaves. Both of her parents came from Barbados. And her experience was entirely different than what we call the American black experience. Right. You know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of nuance to this. But the main thing is you have to get up and decide every day not to be anti-racist in deed and word and action and who you vote for. How to be an anti-racist ibram x candy his tone is not uh it's not a diatribe uh he tells he tells stories of his own personal shortcomings and he's pretty self-aware you won't we're all four of us i think yeah it looks like we're all pretty much white uh but you won't you won't feel defensive he you won't feel it's it's really really eye-opening i strongly encourage you all to read it and everybody out there in internet radio land Man, yeah, sounds good. Really does. Okay, recommendations, uh, Jim. Yeah, um, I haven't had time to do much movie watching or book reading. Uh, been consumed with other things, but I want to recommend a, a website that I that I often go down the rabbit hole in, and it's the Steve Hoffman Music Forums. Yes. Uh, Steve Hoffman is a is a mastering engineer, and he runs the online discussion forums that there's a there's a sub forum that's about mastering and, and recording there's a sub forum that's about home stereo stuff but then there's one just called music corner that's just about music and uh it's it's it draw you know you i, I you know we consider ourselves kind of music obsessives but man we can't hold a candle to some of these people i mean they will debate for hundreds and hundreds of posts why the fade out on the Brazilian edition of the third monkeys rarities <laughs> CD is different than the American version. And when are we going to be able to get the, the, the Brazilian version here in America? It's just, it's just incredible. The lengths these people go to one of the things that caught my eye, you know, given, given buffs reigning uh, title of the, the, the master and King of all things, Southern rock is there's a there's a discussion going on about what caused Southern Rock to decline in popularity, and it's got literally thousands of posts of people chiming in. And you're going to be shocked to hear this, but there's no consensus as to the answer to that question. No, but, really? uh, you know, <laughs> it ranges from very intelligent discussions about how every type of every genre of popular music has a finite lifespan to uh, well, you know, people just got tired of hearing mama as every third word of every song, you know, so <laughs> baby, you kind of, baby, you kind of, you, you kind of <laughs> you, you runs the, runs the gamut 
Uh, and the one thing I learned in the past week or was reminded of that I'd forgotten is, you know, uh, in a discussion of, of uh, Iggy and the Stooges about how Miles Davis was a big fan of the band. And he, he frightened guitarist Ron Ashton one night at a gig in New York City by his prodigious consumption of Colombian marching powder in the men's room. <laughs> and, you know, if, 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 you take, if you take enough drugs that you scare one of the Stooges, you know, he must have been interesting. <laughs> oh, my God. Interesting guy. So Miles Davis was certainly an interesting guy. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, so that's yeah. my recommendation. Check it out if you if you like to go down the rabbit hole of discussions about all things music. Check out the Steve Hoffman Music Forums, forums.stevehoffman.tv, or just do a search on your Google machine. Cool. Awesome. Like it. Like it. Brother Eli, do you have anything? Hey, man, uh, and I'm going to preface this by saying I have not actually read this book yet, but I'm looking forward to reading it, and it's, uh, it's your new book, Buff. Uh, Dope! Isn't that out? That's Mercer Press, right? Fix it in a mix. That's, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I like the way you wrote the book, but, like, you're you're not the primary author. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> that's the way it always goes, when, you know, when you do a, a co-writer. Yeah, it's like the Greg Allman book, you know, um, uh alan light wrote it but uh it's greg's story so it was by greg allman with alan light and this is by paul hornsby with michael bubbles well and here's the thing a year ago i would have said you know we don't need to explain to anybody listening to the show who paul hornsby is because almost everybody would know him but we've sort of we we've kind of drifted away from just that southern rock thing in fact we're not doing nearly as much of that and uh, we're getting we're getting listeners that whose you know primary religion is not Southern Rock. Yeah. So, uh, to, man, so talk a little bit about Paul Hornsby and tell people who he is because uh, if you weren't a, well, man, if you if you weren't heavily into that, there's a real good chance you don't know him. I mean, or That's know true. who he is. This is a true story, and uh, thank you for that. By the way. Um, First of all, the first thing to make note of is uh, he's not Bruce Hornsby. Uh, people get that <laughs> mixed up all the time. He's not. He's not the mandolin rain guy. Uh, that's just Paul, the way it is. That's just the way. That's really fast, man. That was fast. Oh, I was getting confused. I was getting oh, confused. My head with, hurts uh, so bad. Wait, did you say Rupert Hornsby? <laughs> Rupert, Rupert, Rupert. Yeah, he does like a pina colada. Um, but no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He just likes liquor. Uh, Paul Hornsby, uh, down in Georgia, um, come from came from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's his life story, and uh, he had like two, at least two careers. First, in the sixties, he was in a band with Greg and Dwayne Allman called the Hourglass. Right. And the Hourglass with Pete Carr and Johnny Sandlin also, they were really popular out in California. They, they went out to LA and I mean, they stayed in uh, California for a couple of years, playing up and down all the clubs and all the Bill Graham places, the Fillmore, Winterland, Avalon, all these different things, sharing stages with Janis Joplin and, uh, Oh my God, everybody, airplane, all this kind of stuff. He tells in the book about one particular night at one of the bars, uh, one of the clubs, when the hourglass was joined on stage by Stephen Stills, Janis Joplin, David Crosby, uh, God, a couple other 
folks. I can't even remember. But uh, okay, then Hourglass, you know, had that career, and then they broke up. And he tells about how he was approached in very early 70s by Phil Walden, who was starting Capricorn Records in Macon, uh, to work as a house musician. They put together the Capricorn rhythm section because they wanted a, a house band similar to the band at Stax or the Wrecking Crew out in California. And um, so they had uh, Hornsby was the piano player on that. But he, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he ended up, ended up being one of the two main producers at Capricorn. So Johnny Sandlin produced all the Almond Brothers stuff. And Paul leaned toward the more country rock things of uh, Marshall Tucker. He did all the Marshall Tucker band albums, the Charlie Daniels band albums, and um, a whole lot more. Uh, and he uh, actually even ended up producing my CD that Billy's on, and uh, which is cool. It's in the book actually, which is cool. But uh, it's a fun story. He had some. He had some uh, some really funny stories about things growing up in Alabama and you know as one will have when you're raised kind of poor like me and him both were he and I me and him uh excuse me anyway that's it fix it in the mix us too yeah yes too fix it in the mix it's it's uh it's fun I think you'll like it and it's got a uh very psychedelic cover for like if you can if folks can see this no you can't see it it's not video uh Anyway, thanks. Appreciate it. So that being said, uh, let's see here. Right. Okay. What I'm going to do now is I want to play a record. Then we're going to come back and talk about drummers. Now I started the show out with drummers and we're going to end the show with drummers, but I decided that in the middle, I just wanted to get my yayas out a little bit. Uh, I've been really getting into a band that I didn't know, uh, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I do my recommendations? I didn't do no. my recommendations. <coughs> Hold your horses, folks. Wait, wait, because before you do that, I, I have one beer left in the refrigerator. Why, why don't you why don't you recommend that I go get it? <laughs> <laughs> I do recommend that you go get it. And, uh, there we go. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah, that's all you need is my permission. Uh this is one of the things that happened because of our Friday night happy hour that Billy's been including me on with some, with all these guys that are doing the show, plus some cool dudes from Chicago. And they had told me about that magazine, ugly things, which I'd never heard of. And I started reading it and I've learned a lot. And uh, once again, life's most embarrassing moments. You find out about a band that everybody else knew about except you. And, uh, the band, <laughs> there's an article in one of the, uh, issues um about skip spence and moby grape and i had seen the name moby grape on posters in fact i got a couple of reproductions of fillmore posters that have moby grape on there but i had never in my freaking life heard them so i went back and just started listening to moby grape and a buddy of mine got me the uh uh, their entire catalog on mp3 so i was just playing it on a loop all day for several days and i've just become the biggest fan of moby grape which i just didn't like i said didn't know anything about it i love the way they mix uh, elements of folk uh blues country and jazz and 
psychedelic, sometimes very psychedelic, uh, just really, really cool stuff. I love the, um, I guess my favorites, uh, the debut album, the self-titled Moby Grape, and also one called Grape Jam is real good. And I just last night found a thing on YouTube that was really cool. It was a, a live show from 2010 in Austin, Texas, of all places. Hmm. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, the uh, Moby Grape guys. And it's real cool. So anyway, that's it. Moby Grape. Um, I, I like them. And uh, that being said, now that I got that off my chest, we're going to go into the uh, drummer thing in just a minute. But I want to play a record. And like I said, besides Moby Grape, I've also been playing a, a band that I really didn't know much about before I started doing the show with Pat and Jim because they got me into this band, The Replacements, right? You are welcome. <laughs> and I am, I, I just got us the checks. I've been, <laughs> I've been cranking that shit up. I mean to tell you, and this here is one of my favorite songs. And this is these guys are singing about another person that I really admire, Alex Chilton. Okay? Children by the millions. <laughs> and we're going to play or some at least Alex. hundreds replacements and doing this song alex children is rocking out they rock out with their cock out people that's all i like to say <laughs> <laughs> we used to be in a studio uh in Spar uh, spartanburg marshall tucker studios and um and uh, randy merriman was producing the silver travis band and his thing was every time instead of saying the tapes rolling he go rock out with your cock out <laughs> yeah it was funny at the time you had to be there yeah, you had to be there and really high. Well, <laughs> well, I was going to say there were lots of like lots and lots of alcohol bottles in there. Um, anyway, Alex Chilton from the replacements. Here we go. Rock out, boys.
Yeah, boy, that was great, huh? The Replacements. Really great band and uh, Alex Chilton. And we're going to go into the meat and potatoes of the program now and talk about drummers. Oh, man, there's so freaking many great drummers in all different genres. It's almost, we love categories where you can't really, or almost can't pick. So uh, we'll see by starting off with one guy who has probably is not going to have just five. I guarantee he's not going to have just five. We're going to turn it over to Jim Hemphill and let him talk about drums. Yeah, you can. You can. Well, thank you very much. Bet money he overbought. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I, now, I, I, now Jim. I, Jim gets to filibuster now. I tried. I tried to keep. I tried to keep this to five by being meta and having five lists of five. So I was. Uh, I was told. I, well, I, I was, goddamn knew you were going to overthink it. I was told there was there would be no math on this topic. So right. five lists of five is like I don't know thirty-two or something like that. Yeah. But uh, but uh. I couldn't. I only got to three lists of five, so I'm going to keep it to three lists of five. Which uh, is only seventeen. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, no. I think it's twenty-three. Well, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I love drummers. I love to listen to drummers. I love to play with great drummers. Uh, I'm 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 just a big drummer guy, and I am confining this to rock drummers. I think jazz drumming is com- is a completely different kind of trip. So I'm just going to talk about rock drummers. My first list of five is five great drummers who aren't on my main list that you just because they're so obvious and they're so great, but I feel like I need to mention them. Keith Moon, Charlie Watts, John Bonham, Ginger Baker, Neil Peart. Okay, there's five great drummers that aren't on my list. Uh, so if, I, I'm assuming other people will pick at least some of those drummers. Y'all can talk about them. I'm not going to. They're all great. Next one, I'm going to get very parochial and have five great Austin drummers who aren't on my main list, some of whom are nationally known and some of whom are only locally known but deserve to be known uh, in a more far and wide manner. First, Jim Eno from Spoon. Spoon is, you know, one of the consistently great bands of the 2000s, in, in my estimation. I remember seeing them back when they used to open for my friends' bands here in, in Austin. And I said, That's, this band's pretty good. And they turned into an incredibly good band. But Jim Eno, the drummer, uh, is the only consistent member, along with Britt Daniel, the frontman, songwriter, singer. And Jim Eno is... is is very key in propelling spoon he's got a lot of restraint he's got a lot of feel but he really drives the band and he also uh engineers and produces a lot of their stuff he has a studio here in austin he's still in town and uh, still does a lot of work locally so jim Eno, first pick second pick glenn benavides who was in a band back in the 80s called doctor's mob if you don't know him check him out great loud garage garagey stuff and then was in um uh, Alejandro Escovedo's rock band, Buick McCain, power drummer, uh, just a kind of a Keith Moon disciple, uh, really, really great drummer and just propels anything that, that he's in. Next is Dave Miter. Uh, he was in a band in the 80s and 90s called Javelin Boot that was a great band. He plays in uh, the Diamond Smugglers. He plays in a bunch of other bands. One of the most versatile drummers I've gigged with could just play anything. And is if you see him play in a band, you wouldn't guess at how great he is. And then you get to play with him and you just think, man, this guy can just do anything. Uh, Dave Miter, great drummer. Next one is a guy that Pat and I have both played with, Steve McCarthy. 
uh, who's in the Wannabes, who's in the Far Forlorn, which is John Langford's band in Austin. John Langford of the uh, the Mekons and uh, the Waco Brothers spends a lot of time in Austin, and and when he's in Austin, Steve plays with him. Just brings incredible heat. Just it's just playing with Steve behind you on the kid is really is really something. And then finally, a guy that we all know and love, Mr. Rick Furley who spent years in Billy's band, who spent years in this season's Losers with Pat and, and myself, uh, who played with Junior Brown, who uh, who would play with anybody, the hardest working drummer in Austin show business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, no. Yeah, yeah. Play, he, had, he was in a, what, what I always called a renaissance folk rock band called Moondy. That he played, and it, he, it was more of a percussion guy, played tuned percussion and all kinds of different stuff. Moondy's had some great records out and has tour, toured Europe a couple of times and, and was all about finesse. And so Rick could go from playing full out garage punk in The Season's Losers to, uh, to, you know, just playing a snare behind Junior Brown to playing this, this, this complicated renaissance type stuff in Moondy. Uh, we played a benefit once uh, where Rick was on stage for six straight bands, including a couple that he had including, never, yeah, yeah, including oh, he, including he, bands not only that he'd never played with before, right. that but that he'd never heard before. Right. <laughs> and you know, Rick has had health issues lately and isn't playing uh, these days, but he is a great, great drummer and an even better human being. Uh, so I can't let it go without mentioning Rick. All right, here's my real list of five now. Now that I've that I've had. Now that I've already had 10, here's my list of five. I, I like is, the way you started of all the the drummers that weren't on your list and then you name them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you have to name the drummers that aren't on my, on my list. Right. So here's here's my here's my main list of five-ish uh, drummers that might have more than five. Number one, Bunny Carlos, Cheap oh, Trick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> just a just an amazing drummer uh if you want to know how good he is two things to listen to number one is the intro to ain't that a shame the cover of the fats domino song off cheap trick at budokan is a clinic in fills um he he sets up a backbeat and then he does like four fills that you can hear some ringo you can hear some keith moon you can hear some charlie watts you can hear some ginger baker in those fills yeah, it's just yeah, yep. pretty incredible and then also the instrumental the wacky instrumental bridge to the song dream police that he just goes yeah. kind of full keith moon in that and it's He's a terrific drummer, you know, and he's not playing. He's not touring with Cheap Trick anymore. Uh, Dax uh, Nielsen, Rick Nielsen's son, is playing drums and played drums on one of their mo most recent records. And I, I had it on in the studio uh, one day, one of the recent records. I think it was Bang Zoom Crazy Hello. And the aforementioned Rick Furley comes in and says, hey, this is cool. Who is it? I said, it's Cheap Trick. And he listened to it for 15 or 20 seconds and said, that's not Bunny. Right, right, buddy right. to a drummer was that distinctive he but, he needed he says, sounds good the drummer's good but he's not bunny carlos dax is a that. fine drummer but yeah. Yeah, but yeah. And, and that that kind of says it all number two on my list is jody stevens of big star oh yeah oh uh, yeah the quintessential power pop drummer um just really tasteful uh and just his drum fills make some of those songs. If you listen to those first two big star albums, number one record in radio city and, and, and concentrate on the drums, you will realize how much Jody's playing really helps define the songs. 
uh, as much as, as Alex's, Alex Chilton's guitar playing and, and songwriting and singing and, and the Chris Bell stuff on the first record. Just, so just, a, the, just a, a little thing like uh, on, the, on the false stops in, in the street where he hits that crash a single time. Yeah. You know? he, yeah, he just knows what to do when. And part of it is the drum sounds so gorgeous on that record. Yeah. On those two records. I mean, you know, that's uh, recorded at Ardent Studios in Memphis, where Alex Chilton, which we heard earlier in the show by the replacements, they also recorded that record, Please to Meet Me at Ardent in Memphis. Um, but just, just sounds so great. Uh, and Jody Stevens is now the studio manager at Ardent, as a matter of fact. So comes full circle there. My next choice is uh janet weiss janet weiss is a power mm -hmm. drummer best known for her work in slater kenny uh to me slater kenny went from a really really good band to a great band when janet weiss joined um yep. Yep. and she's just a great drummer and she's also <coughs> in uh quasi uh she was in the jicks which is stephen malkmus's band from pavement she was in wild flag she just is a fantastic fantastic drummer power drummer and uh and really elevated slater kenny like i said to in my in my view one of the the greatest rock bands of their time my number four pick is the, probably the most famous drummer in the world but also one of the most maligned and that's ringo Starr. you know this might be apocryphal but you know there's there's a there's a story going around that someone asked john lennon if ringo was the best drummer in the world and john said ringo isn't even the best drummer in the beatles um which which is a which is a beautiful diss but it's so dead ass wrong uh, i mean you know mccartney played drums on a couple of beatles tracks um but he's very stiff and he doesn't have anywhere near the creativity that ringo had listen to ticket to ride listen to rain listen to come together and realize what a great drummer uh ringo really is and he's got an ep coming out next month and he's 80 freaking years old i mean that's wow. pretty amazing. That's wow. pretty amazing. And on my number five slot, um, I couldn't decide on just one, so I have a three-way tie. Topper Hedden of the Clash, Clem Burke of the of Blondie, Stuart Copeland of the Police. All three drummers did great work in the late seventies and into the eighties. Topper Hedden, again, it kind of like Janet Wise, elevated uh, the Clash. Um, Terry Chimes was a, a very fine drummer, but Topper really let them transcend the punk rock thing and he was almost single-handedly responsible for rock and rock the casbah yeah. he wrote it and played almost everything on it actually clem burke blondie uh keith moon disciple uh, really put the rock in in blondie's pop particularly on the first two or three records and Stuart copeland of the police oh, is God. a master <laughs> technician he's like he's like uh he's i mean he's he's kind of like neil Peart, but with more taste Right. I'm sorry for all you Rush fans, but right. you know, uh, uh, he yeah, just it, really... it's, it's it's more it's more controlled, man, and it's more precise. Yeah, if that's exactly. you know, exactly. So great drummer. I... So having had in my in my five drummers, having had, let me let me see if I can do the math. That's uh, eighteen. That's eighteen. I think it's seventeen. <laughs> I think it's seventeen. So, well, it but I can throw 30... another one in there if you want me to get to <laughs> even eighteen. <laughs> Yeah, I think Martin really, Chambers of the Pretenders. I think we're all ready to move on with our lives, Jim. But that's I a think good we list. are. But anyway, anyway, I love drummers. I love drummers. 
So got to give that the drummer some. Man, that was a, that was a good list, and and you put a whole lot more thought into all yours than I put into mine. <laughs> I just I just picked drummers, that, you know, that played on songs I liked or in bands I liked, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my list now. And two of these two of these guys, uh, uh, we work with some of us work with. Uh, in no particular order. I'm gonna start with uh, another uh, Austin drummer, uh, Michael McGeary. And uh, Yay. and uh, me and me and Jim have worked with him in mult on multiple projects, and uh, we I don't think we've ever done a live gig with him, have we? I don't think so. No, huh? It just it's uh, yeah, it's all just been sessions. But uh, I he's who we got to uh, play on 12 CP uh, that uh, that we did in Austin with uh, the rhythm section was. Uh, Joey Parrish and Michael McGeary. And uh for Jerry Jeff Walker fans, uh know may know him. He was a drum he he drummed on uh Viva Trilingual, which to my way of thinking was Jerry Jeff's best. Yep. Yeah, yep. that was a, yep. that, that was the best top to bottom record. And um anyway, so uh that's one, and again, I, I'm not really numbering these and uh and I picked uh it was funny because you were talking about uh the much maligned Ringo and uh one of the drummers on my list is Stan Lynch from the original Heartbreakers mm-hmm. who who played a lot in that Ringo style it wasn't a yeah. lot of single not a lot of single stroke feels a lot of syncopated stuff you know uh a lot of he worked the cymbals a whole lot uh to me it's it's a pretty good parallel with Ringo not just her playing style but uh Stan Lynch in my opinion, was had a that that band would not have been the same, or in my opinion, as good without without him. Those first what dozen albums or agreed, yeah, yeah, and and they and they were great after that, but uh, but but that you know that the first time the first stuff of Petty's you know that I, I heard on the radio and I was like wow the. The thing that got me was, you know, the the way the songs were set up because Stan Lynch was drumming for him, and uh, and you know, and then uh, I think they had some kind of falling out, and he got fired or quit or something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. You know, but you know, I mean, you can see where that happened after twenty five or thirty years. So, oh <laughs> uh, uh, So that's my second one. My third one is uh, Karma and a Peace. And yeah. Uh, yeah. when I was a uh, when I was a uh, uh, like fourteen, man, I really uh, that was that was Rod Stewart's big spike in kind of pop rock and hot legs and uh, tonight's night and, and all that stuff was all that stuff was Carmine a piece and just again uh, good songs, fun band, and it wouldn't have worked as well with any other drummer it would have still worked but it, I, in my opinion it wouldn't work as well and how many is that three can and, i say something about that one billy yeah absolutely. Mine, uh one of my albums that i just loved in the 70s was beck bogart and a piece that when right. they, oh my gosh he was drumming his butt off on that you know uh a lot of the drummers th- that have been uh mentioned here that weren't necessarily on the list but i mean you 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 would have to put them co-equal with you know the uh with the with the 
front line and and the guitar player or and Jim. That's what I always felt about Stuart Copeland. You know, I mean, his drumming his drumming was as important to that police stuff as as Andy Summers' guitar work. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. Mean, yeah. And, yeah. and Andy yeah. Summers' guitar work was really important too. And and it, they were yeah, it was. both great great musicians. Well, and, all three, all three of those guys, man, they were just magic together. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and and another old Jim's. This was on Jim's anti list, but uh, Jim, uh, Ginger Baker again, man. Yeah, go listen yeah. to that Cream stuff and you, it, and try to imagine it with it with even another great drummer drumming on it. Just yeah, like no, no, man. It, it, I mean, it it was the the drums in cream i mean that was co-equal to anything clapton was doing you change any one part of that the band's not as good and he's absolutely fantastic on that sellout pill album called album man what a drum sound yep. that guy had yep. oh gosh yep, yep. him he, and bruce it, it, him and jack bruce together one of the greatest rhythm sections ever. And did, mm-hmm. did they, didn't they hate each other? Guys? Yes they did <laughs> basically right. everybody hated ginger and ginger hated everybody <laughs> Yeah. Ginger, ginger liked Charlie Watts. He, he did, said, of course. Yeah. Why would I go see the Rolling Stones? The only thing worth even listening to in the Rolling Stones is Charlie Watts. <laughs> and he was of course, quite opinionated. And of yeah. course, my, my all-time favorite drummer is Charlie Watts. But I, I didn't put him on the list because, you know, I mean. What's, what's that documentary about Ginger Baker? Beware of Mr. Baker or something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, my last pick is uh, a guy that me and Jim have just recently started working with, uh, uh, drummer based in LA named Dale Daniel. He's played with uh, Dave Alvin. He played with uh, Hosky and the Brothers. Uh, it just it, you know, if you're into indie stuff, you've almost certainly heard his work. Uh, he he does. I tell you what, man, he. <laughs> He plays country like a rock drummer better than anybody I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it uh, he 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 brings real power to stuff that you would think. I ah, mean, there's there's nowhere in there to put any power from the drums, and you would be wrong. But uh, yeah, so that's my list. And uh, cool, I, think, man. I I don't know who's up now. Me, okay. I'm gonna do mine. We're gonna say Pat for last. All right. Because he's he he always bats clean up and he does a great job. Um that's because he's used to a screw. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Uh my my list is uh gonna start I I altered it a little bit from what it originally was after I was on the uh um happy hour chat with our buddies last night and they mentioned a drummer that I loved that I had not even thought about. So anyway. Uh, that'll show up in my list. No, my number uh, five is uh, Quest Love of the Roots. My oh, niece, yeah. Yeah, man. My, my niece, Kelly, um, turned me on to the Roots years ago. Uh, she's such a fan. Um, she's traveled the world. She works for the CDC, but she traveled the world. And she saw the Roots in Germany. And she saw the Roots uh, somewhere else in somewhere else in Europe. And then a couple times in the States and she's like, she calls me uncle Mikey, uncle Mikey, you've got to, you got to check out the roots. So I started listening to them. And then of course, later on, they became the house band on the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon. And, uh, you know, man, just a great band and, and quest love. is just really, really good drummer. Uh, I would say, uh, 
as far as his greatest, uh, I mean, great examples of his drumming, uh, Roots, a song called Long Time off the album Game Theory. And also uh, there was an album called Illadef Half-Life and a song called No Alibi. Uh, but the greatest thing I believe that I ever heard him play drums on, there was a expanded version of the Prince album, One Night Alone, expanded. And it had a bonus track on there. It was a live version of, uh, they were playing the Sly song, If You Want Me To Stay. And it was Prince and Questlove with Larry Graham on the bass <laughs> at a New York bar. And uh, oh my gosh, it's so good. Number five is Questlove. Number two, Carl Palmer of Emerson Lake and Palmer. Oh my gosh. Um, I totally spaced on Carl. And when the guys last night mentioned him, I was like, yeah, I did this great interview with him one time when he was putting out a kind of the equivalent of a hot licks thing, but for drums, uh, 10 years ago or so or something like that. But Carl Palmer, I, I would say one of my, one of the albums I just loved to spend back in the seventies was brain salad surgery. And, uh, um, so good, but my all time favorite that it, where he played was an album, um, a triple album called works works volume one and works volume two, but works volume one. It had a, uh, a whole album for each of the guys. So Keith Emerson had one, Carl had one Palmer and, um, and Greg Lake. And, uh, oh my gosh, that, it was a very drum centric album. And, um, between his, and I loved Keith's, Keith Emerson's album on that too, which has nothing to do with drums. It's all about the keys, but, uh, Carl Palmer. Yeah. My number three is, uh, as, as Steve Burton used to say, personal friend of mine, Paul T riddle of the Marshall Tucker band, heavily jazz influenced. And, uh, he would lock in with Tommy Caldwell and it was absolutely amazing. Check out the 1975 song, this old cowboy and that crazy ass rhythm he's playing on that thing. Um, with a back in a country, toy Caldwell was doing the vocals and the drums just was just like so jazzy. And there was an, a, a song called dream lover on an album called together forever. It starts out with, uh, Paul's extended drum roll and kicks in the gear. Also, there was a funky, uh, really cool beat on a song called Last of the Stinging Cowboys on the Running Like the Wind album. But Paul is just amazing, amazing drummer. And uh, as a side note, he has a Grammy Award, but it wasn't for Marshall Tucker Band. He got a Grammy Award as the uh, fill-in drummer for J-Mo with the Allman Brothers Band which he often did because J-Mo had back problems. He just happened to be playing drums the night they recorded the Allman Brothers, an evening with the Allman Brothers second set. And he was playing uh, Jessica and playing the drums and got a, a, a Grammy award, which is kind of cool. My number two is Boom Boom, John Bono of yep. Zeppelin, baby. <clears throat> you just want to hear some rock and roll. Moby Dick is what the song we're going to play as we go out today. Moby Dick, some great drums. Also, the drums are really out front on Cashmere, 
Ooh, I love that song. And good times, bad times, man. Uh, I, man, it's just amazing. From the opening drums and pages slide trade off into the meat of the song. Man, bottom is a monster. There goes my gut dog going alarm clock. Sorry, folks. Pay no attention to that alarm going off in my pocket. Stop. Okay. I'm for your nap, Buff. Yeah, it is time for my nap. Uh, that was two hours ago. My number one is a tie between two guys. See, I had to do that because I had to stick uh, Carl in there. So my number one is a tie between Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa. Buddy Rich, big band, jazz legend. I used to love to see him on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. I remember so well one night watching um, Carson was drummer. And he must have had balls the size of Texas because to go up and do a drum battle with Buddy Rich, but he did. They had two kits set up and they were just going back and forth. Man, it was killer. And uh, also, um, I would say I would recommend the album that Buddy did with Gene Krupa called Drum Battle Jazz at the Philharmonic, which uh, was awesome. And uh, Gene Krupa, of course, often called the first rock and roll drummer and inspired generations of drummers. He was the first to bring the drums out front on the stage and into the spotlight. So there you go. Honorable mentions, quickly, honorable mentions. Jackson Spires, another friend of mine who was with Blackfoot. Just listen to Train Train. Oh my goodness, what a great drummer. I had the, I was so blessed to be play on stage with Jackson many times when he was in a group called Southern Rock All-Stars. And it scared the crap out of me to stand in front of his drums while he was playing because he played like a monster, like John Bonham. And I just was always afraid of a, his sticks would break a lot. But I was always afraid that one of them would break and a shard of wood would come flying into my jugular vein at any moment. <laughs> Death by rock and roll injection. But that's okay. One uh, way to go. The other, you go. Gotta, if you got to go, make it rocking on the way out. Um, another uh, mother honorable mentions, uh, Ginger Baker, yeah, of Cream and Blind Faith. Just a unique drummer. And, a, and, and as Tom Dowd said, sort of an insane guy. But it was, a, it was a great drummer, that's for sure. My other two, uh, Charlie Watt. Wait, if he's sort of insane, what's insane? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Tom was being kind, uh, really kind. Char Charlie Watts uh, is in there, of course, and um, one that probably nobody else has heard of on the panel, but it was a friend of mine. He was my drummer for years, passed away about a year ago. His name was David Haddox. It was the greatest drummer I've ever seen in my life. And I played with him for a few years. And uh, David was the teacher who taught a young Paul Riddle. When Paul was 15, he took lessons from Haddox. And um, Paul Riddle tells these great stories about how David would have a gig somewhere else. And, and he's, he's got Paul playing at like this strip club in Spartanburg, right? Wally Stripper, he's 15, and he goes up there to play with his band, jazz band, and uh, Haddix goes, okay, I'll see you later, man. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, I got a gig across town. You're on your own. And he's like, left, he just kind of threw him to the wolves. He said, he said, I had to grow up very fast, you know, very fast. 
But anyway, Haddocks as a good one right there. Like uh, it. Yeah, man. So uh, moving Whoop. right along. We got uh, Patrick Beach is going to do his. Well, Nobody's yeah. Carl Syracuse. Do what? Nobody's mentioned Carl Syracuse. He was a drummer on Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, uh, I'm either bad in cleanup, but I feel like the the guy who's feel last like, in I line. I feel like I'm leading off. Yeah. I'm the I'm the I'm the guy who's last in line at the Chinese buffet that's closing in uh, 15 minutes. But um, that doesn't mean I, I I have some things to say, including a lengthy we, preamble. We still have Mugu Gap in. It's okay. You know, uh, Billy, you were talking about Stan Lynch and how the, the heartbreaker soldiered on after he left the band. But that reminded me of uh, of a similar thing with REM. Bill Barry was a tremendous drummer in REM who left the band after he had a brain aneurysm and said, you know what? Life is too short for this. I've done everything I really wanted to do. And I just I want to stay alive for as long as possible. I've talked uh, before about this show on I think it's HBO Song Explosion. And one of the episodes is about the making of and the writing of Losing My Religion. And Peter Buck is interviewed in that, and so is Barry, so is everybody. But uh, Peter Buck says, people ask me all the time, how can Bill Barry play like that? And Peter Buck says, he's Bill Barry, and nobody else can play like right. that. Uh, you know, everybody paid so much attention to uh, that great birdsish uh, guitar sound that, that Buck had in those arpeggios and arpeggios, and, and of course, spending so much time trying to figure out what in the hell Stipe was saying. Barry was just kind of happy to sit back and, and keep the time and do an interesting job of it. Uh, but when he left, I got less interested in R.E.M. And I didn't... Most folks, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't realize until sometime later that the missing ingredient might have been why. You know, man, I was I was never the REM fan. You guys are, right. you know, I knew their hits and I, I listened to some of their stuff. Never owned any of their records, but and this is doesn't really have anything to do with him leaving the band, but it does have to do with uh, retrospectively listening to that stuff. Now, man, what a monster goddamn mm-hmm. rhythm section mm-hmm. they were, man. Mm-hmm. Mike yep. Mike Mills on, but I mean. God damn that rhythm section was solid. Oh, I mean, yeah, they were great. They and, were great. And, you know, I mean, at the time I was on the radio and I was supposed to say, yeah, man, that's pretty good. But, you know, I, I didn't I didn't dive into it very deep. But uh, if I hear it now, it's just, yeah, that, that rhythm section, you know, for like their first hits and uh, the first radio stuff of theirs I heard, it – yeah, I get. I could see why if you were a hardcore fan, you'd lose interest after the drummer left. I mean, because the rhythm section was the driver mm-hmm, and, yeah. and all the the music part. You know, I mean, the, you know, side poetry and all that. But but the you know the engine was that was was uh, the the bass and the drums. Yeah, and, and and the really cool thing about that band, and the reason they lasted so long, is they were the most democratic uh, rock band of all time. At the very beginning, they said, no drugs, everybody gets a songwriting credit on every song, and we split the money four ways. And that's how they lasted. And had Barry not gotten sick and almost died, 
he still would have been in the band right till the end right. and then and then they got to the end of their run and they said hey you know what we've done everything we wanted to, to do how about we do the one thing that nobody's ever done and break up and still be friends and that's right. what they did yep. so bully for them um <laughs> I got to throw out Dave freaking Grohl, man. He played in yeah. Scream. He played in Nirvana. He plays in the Foo Fighters. He'll play with anybody. He's just like Furley. <laughs> he'll sit in with uh, he'll sit in with Queens of the Stone Age. He'll sit in with anybody at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he's just a monster drummer and a maniac. And by all accounts, one of the nicest guys in rock music. I remember I used to subscribe to the Village Voice back when I was critiquing full time and Nirvana was a thing and I got I had bleach and then they signed to Geffen and put out Nevermind and that's what of course broke them and punk rock too in 1991 and somebody who was writing about Nevermind in the village voice said Dave Grohl is the first and only person I've ever heard who plays the drums sarcastically I'm not sure I get that but he does hit him hard and he's a lot of fun to watch and he's a lot of fun to listen to play uh, I got to cheat a little bit and throw out Bonham and Moon. Bonham, not just because every time he hit something with a drumstick, it was like he was carving it in stone, but because of the way those drums sounded. Page was a genius at realizing that drums are an acoustic instrument and should be uh, recorded as such. There's a famous story about that, that castle that they rented, uh, Braun Yonner or whatever. Had, Bonham had a new drum set delivered and they just left it in the entryway of this country manor house and that's where they recorded uh the drum part to when the levee breaks which is why it sounds so enormous and i have to say jim is really good at miking drums too in his uh, capacity as an engineer he gets that big room sound in even in his studio which is not a big room i, I love i love his drum sound and it's not just the studio bottom sound because um a number of years ago, like close to 20 years ago, probably uh, Led Zeppelin posthumous, posthumously put out a live album called How the West Was One, which is vastly, vastly better <coughs> than Song Remains the Same. And when they go into Immigrant Song, that that drum sound will just it's like getting your face slammed into a wall. It's just huge. Moon, of course. Moon was a maniac. Moon played like a maniac, and he influenced so many other drummers. Jim has talked about some of them, uh, but but he also was a huge influence on Grant Hart. Jim and I were talking about Husker Du and Grant Hart and the way he played. And Jim said, "Yeah, he plays like he plays like Keith Moon. He he plays like he's driving a truck. The truck is on fire and it's about to go over a cliff. You know, he's this close from falling apart, and yet just." So much fun to watch and so much fun to listen to. And ignores uh, the high ignores the hi-hat almost always in almost, favor of almost, doing a yeah. ride on a ride yeah. symbol or a ride on a crash symbol. Almost which, entirely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this guy's name has come up too, but uh, uh, the second to the last shrimp at the buffet that I'm working my way down is, is Stuart Copeland because he was busier than you would think. He didn't hit him hard, he, like like Bonham or Moon, for that matter. He was very subtle, but he was very, very busy. And I didn't realize that until I saw him play the one and only time I saw the police play, which was at the <laughs> five seasons in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is kind of a medium-sized room. Like, what do you think, Jim? Maybe 6,000, 7,000 people? Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe, maybe for a concert close to 10, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they didn't, they didn't sell the seats behind the stage, and I just kind of roamed around behind and above Copeland, and I watched him play. I was like, that dude is busy. 
And that really informed the way that I listened to the police from then on, because he's not a drummer who calls attention to himself. He's not one of those, hey, look at me, drummers. Uh, he was just there to do a job and keep the song moving along and, uh, and be propulsive and subtle at the same time, if that makes any sense. I don't think it makes any sense. Last, but not least by any, by any means. We're, we're, we're talking about so many drummers and so many of them have played with uh, so many outfits. There's plenty of journeyman guitar players, but probably lots, lots more journeyman drummers because they can... They can fill in uh, for whenever if they're if they're remotely suited. And I was texting my friend Mark Flora in Minneapolis last night. He and his his wife Lisa have a great great rockabilly trio called the Holy Rocker Rollers. And I said, "Hey, this is our topic tomorrow. Uh, what you got? And don't give me Bottom or Moon or Ringo." And he said, "Michael Bland." Mm. Now, yeah, yeah, which really. Right, yeah. right. Minneapolis. There really should have occurred to me, too, because Michael Bland has played with lots of people, most notably and early on Prince and then with Thrush. And if I'm not mistaken, he's also played with Soul Asylum as well as Paul Westerberg. Yep. So, yep. Uh, you I know, saw a show Westerberg show where he played drums. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I did, too, but I can't remember which one. But man, he uh, he's he's so good and so busy. So yeah, Michael Bland, he does the job. Those are my five or so. It's not eighteen. So. It's not seventeen. Five ish. Five ish. Yeah. Nobody. My work here is finished. Nobody mentioned Greg Bissonette. Yeah. True. <laughs> true. Well, you know, man. I mean, uh, again. Well, I thought of that one, and he's certainly more accomplished than the journeyman but i mean he you know good god he's played what in hundreds of bands he played with david lee roth and played in vegas and you know played like a vegas stage show and you know yeah i always consider him more of a jazz drummer but he does play a lot of rock it's kind of he, like uh vinnie what's what's the guy the dude's name who plays with jeff beck vinnie something uh who also is a uh Cole, I can't say his last name. It starts with a C. Coli, Cola, Cola, or whatever. Anyway, he's a great drummer. He's a great Copa drummer. But I consider him Copa a jazz Cabana. drummer too. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I started to add to my list and then didn't because I thought Pat would pick it, so I left it for him. Hal Blaine from the Wrecking Crew. Again, sure. ja jazz guy that played on what seven eight hundred rock and roll hits. He played on 6,000 singles and 30,000 30, sessions. Yeah. And wow. he originally was a jazz guy, but he played a lot, he played a lot mm -hmm. of rock and roll stuff, too. Yep. Well, yep. well, that's some drummers, man. Well, all right. That's all good, man. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, we have topics lined up, guys, for the next three weeks. The first one is going to yeah, for uh, this coming week is going to be one uh, that Billy chose, and it is songs that have a great chorus but a less than stellar verse. <laughs> in other uh -huh. words, in other words, uh, saved by the chorus. Yeah, yeah. saved by the chorus. Okay. Is good. So, if you want an example, just anything by Bon Jovi. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the uh, 
Yep, we got that. And we got a couple of good ones that I dreamed up, but I won't do I won't go into it right now. I think they're really good though. But is, so is that what we're doing next week? Yeah, we're doing this one next week. Yours. Great chorus, lesson seller verses on the Kudzu Radio Hour. So I want to thank all the guys here and I want to thank anybody, all of you guys for listening in. And uh we're gonna go out with uh one of the drummers that several of us talked about. John is it Bonham, the guy from the booze? Huh? No, it's not Stewart. Is, is it? Is it? Is no? Is it? Car, is it Carl Syracuse from the, from <laughs> yeah, the played, played, yeah. played played on Timothy. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, and, uh, it should be all of them. Is it be well, Carl and uh, I, uh, anyway? I uh, went yeah. and looked that up when when Buff was talking about uh, playing with the drummer from uh, from Black uh, from Blackfoot, and he said. I was absolutely scared to be on stage with him. And I got to thinking, man, I'd be scared to be on stage with that cannibal. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you see the leap. I, I do. It's perfectly logical. It's, well, it's just a straight shot. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to play some Zeppelin now and we'll see you guys. Next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Say bye, guys. Be good. Say Stay y'all. warm. Wear glasses if you need them.
you talk about a serious drummer, man, the great, the late, great boom, boom, John Bonham there with Led Zeppelin and Moby Dick, man, that guy could play the drums and boy, was he powerful, man. I love it. That's going to wrap up another episode of the kudzu radio hour. We want to thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening each week and please spread the word. Let everybody know that, uh, we we do this every week and we have some fun. It's all free. It's all fun. Uh, would love to have even more people listening in. So please help us spread the word Thunderbird. <laughs> and remember to please patronize our sponsors. And those are Springer mountain farms, Springer mountain farms, fresh chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no hormones, no steroids, no antibiotics, none of that junk. You can get that fresh chicken in the blue package in the frozen meat section there of your uh, grocery store. Uh, that's where I get mine anyway. Uh, and they have uh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Got uh, strips, all kinds of different things, but I like the boneless, skinless chicken strips the best. Just personally, it's all good. Springer Mountain Farms. You can also order online, have it delivered to your house. Just go to springermountain.com, springermtn.com, and tell them Buffalo sent you and the Kudzu Radio Hour. Yeah, baby. Program's also brought to you by Bud and JD and the gang at the, the Box Masters Rock and Roll Band. Their uh, latest album is called Light Race, and it is absolutely great. You need to check it out, man. I highly recommend it. I'm not kidding. Uh, the, the uh, light rays, you can get it on vinyl, man. You can get it on CD download or vinyl or all three. Uh, you can even get autograph copies, uh, and you can get autographs of other things, uh, items from their website, as well as t-shirts, stickers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. all kinds of stuff. Just go to theboxmasters.com, theboxmasters.com. Okay. And tell them that Buffalo sent you. And finally, the program is also brought to you by our friends at Fog Hat Cellars. Fog Hat Cellars. You've heard me talk about Fog Hat wine for years now, and it's still my favorite. I'm a fool for the Pinot. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, or just a fool. <laughs> I don't know. It's good. The Pinot is wonderful. The Chardonnay is wonderful. Uh, I don't know which one's my favorite. Depends on what day it is. You know, have one one day and one the next. Uh, but anyway, the same band that you trusted to bring you the boogie blues and everything else for oh, 50 years or so, God, man, they're still doing it. They're still rocking. I mean, rocking full tilt and also making great wine. How about that? Just go over to foghatsellers.com, foghatsellers.com, or you can go to foghat.com. That'd be cool too. And tell them Buffalo sent you. Hey, you're going to be busy telling everybody that Buffalo sent you. <laughs> yep, that's going to wrap it up for today. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it. And we hope that you will tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, always remember, okay? Always remember, and don't ever forget, 